Welcome to the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, bringing you your daily dose of all things on the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Thursday, April 9th, and guess what? We've got more news from Adam Schefter on the status of the NFL draft. Is it in peril? Well, I'll get into that during the show. And after that, I gave a breakdown on DKPittsburghSports.com about what 12 personnel could really look like with two receiving threats in the names of Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald coming from the tight end position. How could that help the Steelers and how that can make things easier for Ben Roethlisberger? All going to be explained in the second segment. And in the third segment, it's the return of Throwback Thursday. Since we don't have a guest today, I'm going to go dig deep into a former Steelers running back's history with the team but it's not who you think it is. All that and more coming up. Let's get into it. All right, everyone. Happy Thursday. Let's get into the Locked On Steelers show. Uh, It's been an interesting week with things going up and down, and I'm going to lead off with a national story um, that just goes back to the, the situation with the coronavirus and draft and all that, and just giving you guys a bit of perspective before people hit the panic button on things. So, Adam Schefter yesterday around 3:55 uh, tweeted out the following: "said A concern has emerged in recent days that there are certain coaches and front office staffers reluctant to have their IT employees in their homes for fear of the virus spreading." And vice versa, some IT employees are concerned about going into other homes to equip them for the draft. So, of course, this sparks now a conversation. Can the NFL draft even happen right now? If the, if you, if, because everyone's assuming that right now teams will be able to call in from their homes. People are going to be able to work and not have to violate any social distancing practices. People can just do what they have to do from their own respective spaces. The draft will continue and everything will go smoothly. But there are concerns that of security issues. And security, by security I mean by you know people being hacked into. Um, because when you think about it, everyone is either going to be communicating via phone, via internet, Zoom, you know, whatever format the NFL chooses to make this to make this process work. But there's going to be a lot of also internal conversations. If people are also social distancing, you know, Kevin Colbert might not be in the same room as Mike Tomlin or Omar Khan or, you know, other positional coaches and, and or, or their scouts. There could be a lot going on that makes this a more complicated process than it really there really sounds when you just when people just say, oh, well, they're just going to phone it in. Um, so to protect against that, they're going to probably need IT employees from each organization, and each organization has these guys. I mean, these organizations have extremely, uh, uh, they, they use technology at a, high, at a high level to produce a lot of things right now, so they have these guys there, but bringing them into the homes, that's going to cause concerns, and it depends on how many of these 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 coaches or staffers or whatever that you want to call them how many of these employees are really complaining about the situation and how many you know is this going to be a realistic concern that's going to stop everything because everyone not only needs secure internet connections they need fast ones they need to make sure that there's not not going to be interruptions so that you know no team that's picking uh and they have like a couple seconds left and they try to call their pick in and then there's a dispute and then there's problems there um you know, I just, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's reasonable to, to look at and say, you know what, I can see some issues there. But the NFL has made it clear they are trying to push very hard for this April 23rd to 25th NFL draft to happen. I think it's very reasonable to, to, to see that happening. Because when you look at the, uh, 
when you look at how this this whole situation has played out as far as the draft so far, the uh, the the NFL is is been you know, when people were speaking up about it, Roger Goodell was, was telling people to shut up. Uh, they know that right now they're the only ticket in the in the world in sports right now because they're generating all the conversation. They're keeping ESPN afloat. They're keeping everyone afloat. They're keeping me afloat, people. That if I didn't have this, I don't know what I'd do. I'd be going crazy. But um, uh, in all seriousness. When you look at this, you have to consider th- those realities. But with Adam Schefter's report, you know now questions is that like, okay, are there going to be some teams that can't do this because they're trying? They're, you know, they have reasonable concerns about safety. Um, I-, I consider this if we're looking on a spectrum of you know different alerts, like like there's red alert being the worst, orange alert being like you know we're almost there, or yellow alert meaning like okay we need to pay attention to this. This is certainly just on like yellow alert status. This isn't this isn't DefCon One people. This is uh this is just you know concern that like you know hey there there's some complications they've run into, but they've got two weeks to figure this out. The NFL starts two weeks from the NFL draft. I mean starts two weeks from exactly today when you're listening to this show. So we're excited about that. We have a lot of we you know there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk about that, but. You know the NFL has made made a concerted effort to make sure the draft happens on time, so that they're able to do things right. Now, Adam Schefter's also been one to, to you know advocate for the draft being pushed back. He came out and he was he came out and made like an emphatic statement about a week or two ago, saying like, "Oh, it's you know how can you do this?" But the truth is, is that the the draft itself doesn't put people at risk if everyone's able to do this remotely. Uh, that's you know you're not going to break social distancing guidelines. Now I understand there's people there's concerns about this. If you listened to uh, if I, I like to listen to the Dan Levitard show sometimes, and there was a joke made by one of their guys. I believe it was uh, I believe it was Billy. Um, he but he made a joke. He said the Patriots are going to find a way to circumvent this. You know they're gonna, Bill Belichick is going to pretend that his internet cut out and it's going to give and he's going to use that to buy time. And then ten minutes later he's going to pick someone else. Or and then they they joked that uh, the Patriots could pull a Russian hacking situation and they'll draft Joe Burrow and to attack Um So you know the well all those jokes aside and that you know it's a funny thought, but at the same time it's a realistic concern that someone could use this to their benefit to try and gain information from other people. Uh, teams do try to get over on people. I mean, look at the Patriots. They hack into people's headsets. Uh, and that's not something that that's just made up, I can tell you, because Dale Lolly has literally done radio shows in, in their stadium, and they do hack it so that you know everyone's uh, radios are broadcasting uh, what the Patriots talk talk radio is talking about, so it makes it impossible to use them, and it makes it you know very difficult to communicate. Um, and it's a problem that everyone's reported. It's kind of well known by now. Um, so security is an issue. So this the the NFL do ha- does have to figure this out and figure out a way so that they can protect the teams and their communications and make sure everyone's on the same page, able to communicate freely. Because there's also, think about it, like, you know, say, you know, like last year, the Steelers traded up with the Broncos. What if the Bengals intercepted that the Steelers were trying to trade up from the Broncos and then and they tried to trade up to the Bills, with the Bills? And because they're like, oh, we we heard, we, we, we caught wind of that because, you know, we, you know, their, their servers weren't secure. So, I mean, again, I'm no technological expert here. I'm a guy recording on my computer and uh, talking to you guys on a podcast, um, but I can tell you right now that there is uh, there, that, that this is this is at least a real concern at the moment. It's not dire. It's not uh, it's it's not at at any serious level yet because I do think the NFL can just invest a lot of money in this and just make sure that it actually happens. I also think that at some point 
the, the owners and the execs will come down on whoever's complaining and be like, look, we'll provide whatever resources that you need to feel safe, but this thing has to happen. We need to deliver here. Because the NFL knows if they deliver here, I, I think it goes very well for them. The ratings will go through the roof. I mean, what else is someone going to watch right now, right? If you're a sports fan, you're begging for something. So uh, I think the NFL finds a way to pull this off. But as usual, I'll keep you posted on everything that happens here on Locked On Steelers. Okay, with that, going to go to our first break here. When we come back, I did a film breakdown on how 12 personnel can work for the Steelers with Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald. All that detail coming up next right after this. All right, we're back. So as usual, you guys know my expertise is a film analyst for DKPittsburghSports.com where I break down X's and O's and explain, you know, why teams win, why teams lose, etc., etc. Well, one thing that people have been talking about for uh, for a past uh, the past decade, I think it's become really prominent to talk about is uh, twelve personnel formations. Now, for those who don't know what twelve personnel means, it's a simple description that tells you how many people are are what skill players are on the field for an offense. Twelve in this case means that there are there are two receivers, two tight ends, and one running back. When you hear someone say you know such and such personnel, there are two numbers usually given. So if they say 12, that means a 1 and a 2, 22 is a 2 and a 2. The first number always depicts how many running backs on the field. The second number depicts how many uh, tight ends are on the field. And because there can only be five skilled players on a field at, at one time, the final the final, number, the final remaining number left over well, with of, of the five, which in this case two, determines how many receivers are there. Uh, it's called extrapolating information. Get used to it. Uh, but... When you look at the, uh, the, the the 12 personnel opportunities for the Steelers, they really didn't do much of it before because they've never had a second receiving threat um, in the tight end position. I wrote about this for DKPittsburghSports.com uh, earlier this week. It published on Wednesday, so you can read this. Um, you can read this today, uh, but you can also just hear it here. And if you want more specific details with how the film looks, um, by all means, go check it out there. It's uh, it, it'll, it'll still be up all all week. Um, but uh, the uh, so basically, let's let's break into it. So when it came to how many people we used uh, twelve personnel, um, uh, the Ste- the Steelers were nineteenth among among uh, all teams in the NFL about how many people used. Uh, 12 personnel formations again that means two receivers two tight ends and one running back and uh that took up that, that was about 23 percent of all their all their plays but only 18 percent of their passing plays um and from and from those those passing plays there were 67 of them and 62 of them were at result resulted in attempted passes that only got them 292 yards four touchdowns and one interception um, so that's from sharpfootballstats.com. They gave they, they gave out some really good information. You should check them out. They have some really good charts there. Um, but you know when you compare that to other teams, you know there's a, there's teams that are extremely efficient in that. The Philadelphia Eagles are one of them. They used 12 personnel formations 54% of the time. Now, what does this do for the offense? Everyone's probably thinking of the 12 personnel. 12, what are you talking about, Chris? The point is is that when you have two athletic tight ends that are serious receiving threats, not just not just tight ends, because everyone's like, well, what about tight ends that can block? But what about um, you know what about guys that can stretch the field and force defenders to have to seriously consider them as threats? That's where you can catch defenses off guard because one tight ends are bigger, so teams don't want to put smaller guys in the box 
to press them too much because if they do and it's a run play, their their cornerbacks can get bulldozed. Uh, but if they try to put too slow of a guys on them, if they put a linebacker over top of them, well then you get you can get burned because then the tight end can just outrun them and beat them in a route that make become wide open and become a serious receiving threat. So um, the Steelers have never really had that one-two punch at tight end. Even when they had Heath Miller, I mean they had Matt Spath, they kind of rotated around. At one point they had Jesse James, but again Jesse James. It wasn't a serious receiving threat. Heath Miller also wasn't a guy that got rack. He was a great tight end, but he was not a guy that was going to uh, scare the day- daylights out of someone if he if if he was in the open field. Heath Miller blocked great, and he caught every ball that was thrown his way, um, and he could get open. But he wasn't a guy that was going to take the top off of a defense like Vance McDonald has and like Eric Ebron has. So um, to to paint a picture. For this, I went back to the Ravens game where Vance McDonald wasn't even stretching, stretching the field vertically. Just his speed was able to catch the Ravens off guard in the red zone play with Devlin Hodges. The Steelers call a play action. Uh, it's a it's a bootleg to his left. Vance McDonald lining up on the right side of the line crosses the field and it forces a linebacker to try to follow him all the way. It, t- it takes too long for that linebacker to get there. He's Vance McDonald's wide open in the flat. He catches the ball, runs for an easy first down. Now again, this was a 12 personnel formation, so the Ravens came out and they had their guys sort of lining up in the box. They didn't want to throw uh, a small guy in there, so they had uh, they had they had a linebacker watching him, and it took him too long to adjust and get, and get there. Vance McDonald's able to get the play down to the two. Really good play for the Steelers. Um, now that here's the thing about uh, when you look at the opportunities to get open. The key is that you want players that are creating separation. You want guys that are going to uh, to, to to force defenses to have to think. Because the option here is that you want defense defenders to be put on islands where they have to decide: Okay, am I covering this guy or am I covering that guy? Or do I go this? Do I do I make do I kind of try to force him to the inside or do I give him the outside and then just hope that he doesn't make the play over here? Um, you know, there's there's all sorts of th- challenges that you want to put as an offense. Um, that you want to put them to. Uh, so when when you're looking at this, uh, I looked at uh, I looked at next gen stats. Now one thing that's often said about Vance McDonald about his his abilities, um, you look at his his separation, and you probably might have heard me say this before, but the guy had the second best separation in the NFL in uh, 2019 of all players. He got 3.8 yards of separation per route um last last year and part of that's because you know people were kind of ignoring him but the problem was he only got targeted 55 times during all season that's the fifth most on the Steelers behind all three of the of the main receivers Juju James Washington Deontay Johnson but it's also behind Jalen Samuels that's a problem and that's not a that's not a play calling problem because there were plenty of plays designed where he was wide open and Mason Rudolph or Devlin Hodges just didn't see him and that was the and, and that was the main problem but with Roethlisberger back I think that number will go up um, for the tight end position, maybe not McDonald specifically, because now he's probably going to be the number two option with Eric Ebron out there. And uh, I, I put on an example of how a vertical, st- vertically stretching tight end can really threaten a defense with a play that Eric Ebron had with Jacoby Brissett and the Colts just last year. Um, Eric Ebron lines up in, in a twelve personnel formation, and uh, and he cuts a he does a deep crossing pattern while the Colts. Well, well I think it was actually the Raiders that on defense came out in a zone defense 
um, his crossing pattern goes over the middle of the field, and with the with the with the Raiders in a sort of a cover three, there's a there's one middle linebacker that, that that's trying to hang with hang with Ebron, but he can't really get by, get stick with him once Ebron gets past him. So now the only person over the middle of the field that can really help is the deep safety, and the deep safety's job is just that to be the deep safety. They can't they can't sit there they can't play up too hard, otherwise they'll be they'll give up the the the, the end zone. But by the time the ball gets there, the safety's too late. Ebron makes a miss, and he's gone for a touchdown. Now, here's the thing with 12 personnel is that when both tight ends are on the field, if you respect both of them as receivers, that means that those middle defenders, and there's usually at least three uh, you know, linebackers or safeties that are hovering around there, they have to they have to make decisions. They can't if especially when they're in zone. They can't just uh, you know they the, uh, if they're gonna cut co- if they're gonna they can't double cover both because again if you're cover if you try to get too physical or, or, or give someone too much support because you don't trust the linebacker uh, that that's covering them you're opening up single coverage on the outside um, and that also could be the threat of twelve personnel is just to give Deontay Johnson, Judas Smith Schuster, and James Washington more opportunities lining up outside the numbers. Um, so that was a play. Um, and I also think that, you know, when you look at how the Steelers call run plays, these are two bigger bodies. Now, neither are proficient blockers. Uh, McDonald's a decent blocker. Ebron is uh, shaky. Uh, but these are uh, these are bigger bodied guys. All you really need to do is get a hat on somebody. And this is something that they can work on in camp. But, you know, I pointed to a situation where last year during the Bengals game, when the Steelers only had one tight end, at, uh, you know, available, and that was Nick Vanette in his first ever game as a Steeler, they they threw in James Washington as a tight end. And there was even a play where they had James Washington pull and become the lead blocker, and with Nick Vanette on one side, he sealed down the blocks. Washington went out went out for it, and it opened up a huge hole for James Conner to run up the left side. These are these are ways that you can kind of use these tight ends to your advantage. It's it's kind of how the Steelers like to use their sixth uh, their sixth lineman option is by having that having that tight end out there but except now that tight end forces defenses to have to think is that guy going to come out for a route is he going to block and then you put defenses on their toes you force them to have to make a decision am i going to send out a heavier package to deal with these guys or do i keep my smaller guys in which opens up the chance for the steelers offense to bulldoze them and get a run game going um and uh, I, I use as a final result to talk about this was a play from uh, zach ertz and uh and the philadelphia eagles where both him and dallas goddard were on the field at the same time for 12 personnel in the playoffs games and josh josh uh, mccown made a big throw over the middle to zach Ertz. now josh mccown against the seattle seahawks defense uh it sound it sounds ridiculous that this could work but this is the benefits of it it's throws over the middle that can break wide open because defenses don't know how to cover tight ends sometimes um, and and or they, they have matchup issues and they try to pass them off between people and when you force teams to pass off offensive players that's where communications can break down so this is the this is what 12 personnel can do for you now again i'm not advocating for 12 personnel to happen every single play i'm saying that it instead of you know maybe 25 percent maybe it happened 35 percent maybe closer to 40 percent ah, no, i would say 40 percent 35 percent sounds actually pretty reasonable but incorporating it can open up opportunities for ben roethlisberger he likes likes to hit his bigger targets over the middle. He likes to do to do that. Now this is options. So here's a play that I'll break down for you. So again, it's the playoff game. Uh, you have Ertz lined up on one side. You have Goddard lined up on the other. Now, mind you, during the season, both of both Ertz and Goddard were in the top top ten for tight ends in receptions, in yards, um, and I think in targets. And so they were they were the three of them were or the two of them sorry the three of them the two of them were. Uh, 
um, you know, were, um, were, were recognized threats. So here's a play where they come out and McCown drops back. And what happens is Goddard runs a sort of a shorter button hook route. He comes out, he sort of backs off his defender and then turns around and looks right at McCown. That freezes one of the linebackers, I believe it was Bobby Wagner. Um, and he can't drop back to cover the middle of the field where Zach Ertz is running a deeper crossing pattern. And as he crosses over, over and gets behind Wagner, Wagner, by the time he realizes that, you know, that Goddard isn't the true, the true target, it's too late because Zach Ertz has crossed behind him. He's wide open. His linebacker, KJ Wright, couldn't stick with him. And it's a wide open, easy completion that gets them about 20, 30 yards. These are the things that 12 personnel can open up. When you realize teams are playing zone or they're they're trying they're trying to they're, they're trying to find different matchups available, you can present these problems. McDonald and Ebron are both guys that can get behind people really quickly and with the ball in their hands, they're very dangerous. Teams will have to honor that. And again, the whole point of this is that it also can open up opportunities for the ground game because if they try to get they try to get smaller and get better coverage guys out there, you can bully them a little bit more, and it can get more one-on-one -on -one opportunities for Juju Smith-Schuster and the receiving core outside the numbers. You got because if if they say they say you come out in that double tight end formation, most likely that strong safety is going to bump down. They're going to go single high safety, and a single high safety can't help both sides of the receivers. Even if he goes to help one of the receivers, it's going to give someone single coverage. So this is just a matchup nightmare that I think can be incorporated by the Steelers. I don't think it's going to dominate their playbook, but it could be something that we see come to fruition and be of use to them in some serious games that get them some nice mismatches, maybe gets them a few extra touchdowns that we haven't seen before. Do you think the 12 personnel should be used more? Hit me up on Twitter at Carter Critiques. Let me know what you think. Um, but, all right, with no, without further ado, we're going to get to one more break but after that, it's Throwback Thursday. Got a surprise for you guys. Um, it, you're not going to see this coming, but I have a point to doing this. All that and more right after this. All right, we're back here. So it's been a little bit since I've done a Throwback Thursday. I've been having some guests on. But I figured I'm going to take a break this week from guests and get back to doing some Throwback Thursday. And I had a bit of inspiration as far as who I was going to do Throwback Thursday on. And I'm doing it on Richard Mendenhall. Now, why Richard Mendenhall, of all people, Chris? Well, uh, it came up with a discussion that's been going across Twitter this week. So over the weekend, if you were bored like many Americans were, you probably saw the Super Bowl 45 replay uh, with the Steelers lost to the Packers. Now, of course, everyone remembers in this game, if you're a Steelers fan, you remember the, the, the fumble that Richard Mendenhall had. And, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, man, the pain from that. Um, but after this, uh, Twitter, you know, social media gets, as, as it always does, it gets nasty. And, and there was a lot of attacks coming down on Mendenhall, blaming him for the game, blaming, you know, saying, you know, you're worthless, calling him all sorts of names, you know, saying that he's the reason they lost, he's a, he was a nobody, etc., etc. Um, and uh, it, it prompted some interesting things coming out in the conversation. You know, there's a lot of people that came out and, uh, you know, said it wasn't all his fault. You know, he, there was nobody, nobody blocked from him on that play. But what was really interesting was, you know, Richard Mendenhall, this guy keeps in shape. He does a lot of self-defense training. He trains with the tether ball where he uses it for self-defense. Um, and, uh, and, uh, he does, he does a video where he's practicing with it. And, uh, you know, as he's practicing, he stops, he comes over, he picks up his phone and he's just like, y'all need to stop talking about this fumble nonsense. He used some curse words, of course. Um, he's like, if you never put on a helmet before, you don't know what you're talking about. If you got something to say, come say it to my face. You could tell it was really bothering him. And he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, yeah. And he admitted like, yeah, I think about this every day. Um, so one thing I think is, is interesting about this is, 
uh, Richard Mendenhall, for those who don't th who think he just takes it lightly, um, you know, everyone, you know, I, I think it's interesting that people co come at him for that because Richard Mendenhall was very much a warrior when he was in Pittsburgh for the Steelers. I mean, and that's why I'm doing the throw throwback Thursday on him is because I thought this was interesting. Um, and a lot of people forget what that era was for the Steelers. He was drafted in 2008, the year that they won the Super Bowl. Uh, he didn't get to play much because early in the season, he had his shoulder broken by Ray Lewis uh, in, a, in a rough hit. Um, but in 2009, he came on pretty strong, started to establish himself. In 2010, he exploded onto the scene. Uh, and if, and if, you, if you look at his numbers, in, 29, in 2009, when he first, when he finally got a chance to start, to start in the NFL, he started 12 games. And in 12 starts, he had 1,108 yards and seven touchdowns. And then in tw in 2010, he started all 16 games, 324 carries for 1,273 yards and 13 touchdowns. Um, he was on fire. And so to this to today's Throwback Thursday is dedicated to specifically that 2010 run and all the things he did to help that team get to the Super Bowl. Uh, people forget that that was a team that was just that that, that was very dangerous. Um, you know that that. They had a lot of things going for them on defense, but that offensive line was not good. Uh, you know, just to just to read you down a list of the starters, it was Marquise Pouncey's rookie year. He did very well, um, but uh, the left tackle was Jonathan Scott. He was a guy brought in. Uh, you know, he, he was he's a former fifth round pick of the Lions. Uh, left guard was Chris Kimoatu, who was just rough. Uh, the right tackle was Flozal Adams, who came over from the Cowboys, and he was toward the back end, back end of his career. Um, and what's funny is if you go back and you look on Pro Football Reference's roster of that year, there's no official right guard listed as a starter because it was uh, Doug Ligurski who played who played a lot. Um, but they also it was Ramon Foster's uh, early part. Of the year. He he started eight games. Um, and it was just, it was a rough year for the offensive line. It was a rough time for the offensive line. This was around the time when Kevin Colbert said, all right, we have our guns on defense. Let's start investing into the offense and get the offensive line back together. And it wouldn't be until like really 2014 that you saw a, a really good Steelers offensive line form again. Um, and so with that, you know, this, uh, th it, it became rough for Mendenhall, but he still found ways to make it work. And this, it was just remarkable. Uh, you know, people used to make fun of him because he would quote unquote dance behind the line of scrimmage. But the reason he danced behind the line of scrimmage was because often there weren't any holes to fight through. And what this guy would do is he would go up to the hole, he would fight his way through a hole or he'd bounce it outside. And he was extremely explosive. If you go back and look at his tape, and I urge you to go back and look at some of the bigger plays that he made and look how he made them and the defenders he, he ran past. I mean, there were times, I mean, he left Ray Lewis in the dust. He was leaving defensive backs in the dust, um, guys that had the angle on them and he would beat them on the angle this guy was really good for and imagine if he had a good offensive line I mean the the first game of 2010 the Steelers don't have Ben Roethlisberger Dennis Dixon starting at quarterback they have no hope on offense the 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 Falcons know what they're doing but the defense is shutting them down Troy Polamalu's all over the place he gets a crazy interception at the end of the game and the Steelers are in overtime and they just need one play and what happens but from the 50 yard line Richard Mendenhall busts one loose and he takes it to the house and, and and he just makes one guy miss one guy misjudges a hole and he beats him for it and the safety comes over tries to catch him and just he's so fast the safety all he can do is extend an arm out and kind of trip him and it, it's not enough to stop Mendenhall he goes in for a touchdown 
finishing this the Steelers won in overtime in a home opener 15 to 9 he had 22 carries for 120 yards uh, in a game against Dennis Dixon was the quarterback and uh, that that just shows you I mean that that's like uh, that, that, that that's on the level of uh, Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges right now um, and that just shows you how challenging it was and each of these wins were important because the Steelers they ended up getting to the playoffs they needed the bye they they needed the bye to get the rest going into the playoffs because they were going to hope that this allowed them to host the Ravens in the playoffs it was a really close divisional race um, and they needed that rest because they were also thinking that they might have to play the Patriots in the playoffs they ended up not having to uh, but throughout that season uh, the Tampa Bay game with Charlie Batch where they won 38 to 13 he, he, he took he took 19 carries for 143 yards and a touchdown really good numbers there um, you look you look down the line he uh, you know he, he often found a way to make to make the team competitive even when he wasn't throwing up superior numbers um, you know they they had they had the Browns game where they won twenty eight to ten. He had, he had a touchdown in that one. Uh, one of the bigger ones that stood out was a nineteen sixteen to win in Buffalo. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was really struggling that game. He had thirty six carries for one hundred and fifty one yards and a touchdown. Uh, the Steelers ended up winning by a field goal. But you know th- these this was still young Ben. He still hadn't figured out how to be a how, how to be a slinger that put up top dollar yards. You know. And, uh, and he can't, and Mendenhall was just that guy that he would find a way to come up with, with big situations, uh, you know, from time to time. And he could be really explosive. And oftentimes, you know, it was just, it was just about him finding that hole because, uh, you know, or forcing that hole open because there were plenty of times, I mean, the fullback was David Johnson, who was really a tight end. It was a mess, uh, for as far as the run blocking situation in Pittsburgh, um, you know, the, the game that they lost to the Jets in the regular season, he had 17 carries for 99 yards and a touchdown. Uh, it was a game that the Steelers really should have won if the passing offense had held together. Um, but, uh, but you know, he, he, he came back and he scored two touchdowns in the season closer. Um, but then in the playoffs, it was very interesting because what a lot of people forget is that without Rashard Mendenhall, they probably don't get to the Super Bowl. Uh, and that's the crazy part about that about that fumble situation. Uh, in the first game against Baltimore, when they go down twenty-one to seven, Rashard Mendenhall had had two close distance touchdowns. Uh, you know, and that was the other thing because he he was explosive. But when it came down to the goal line, if you gave it to him, he would he would find he would he had the patience to wait through the initial rush and then explode when he found his gap. He ran hard and he would run over guys to put it into the end zone. He only he had twenty carries for forty-six yards, but two touchdowns and one of them was the clinching touchdown that put the game away late in the fourth quarter, completing the comeback, allowing the Steelers to beat Baltimore 31-24 to and what was a, a monumental playoff victory in, in Steelers history in my book because it was a huge comeback. It looked like the Ravens had finally bested them, and except they didn't. Uh, and then he had a hu- an even huger game against the Jets, a game in which... Um, uh, ben Roethlisberger ran in for a touchdown, but the offense, you know, kind of sputtered out. The defense was able to score a touchdown. The passing game was just not really there. But what was there? Rashard Mendenhall, 27 carries, 121 yards, uh, and a touchdown uh, in a game that they would win 24 to 19. Um, and uh, it was he was very he contributed a lot there. Uh, this, this and again, this guy. You look at some of these plays. Get these plays. Doug Ligurski and you know Marquise Pouncey, and also Marquise Pouncey got hurt in this Jets game. Uh, so you know you you came out and you look at you look at how the, how these games are played and you see just the blocking. There's no DeCastro. There's no Pouncey. Well, there was Pouncey, but he's a baby. Uh, there was a, you know baby Ramon Foster. He was a, he, he was a second year player in the NFL at the time. Um, so he wasn't the developed player that we know him to be today. Um, 
you know, the, the tackle situation was not good. Uh, and it was just, it was really rough for him to get anything going for him to use his speed. If he had the offensive line of the middle 2000, of the middle 2010s, uh, or even the middle 2000s with, with David DeCastro and Jeff Hardings, uh, I really believe Mendenhall would have been on fire. And he actually, outside of that fumble, he was having a good Super Bowl. Uh, you know, the Steelers offense was, was sputtering early. It wasn't really, um, his fault. You know, the Packers came out, they put up some points early and then, uh, Ben Roethlisberger threw a pick six that was returned for it you know it was obviously returned for touchdown it was a pick six but um the Steelers were down 21 to three early uh and it was and it was rough um at Mendenhall you know I feel like he always gets a bad rap in Pittsburgh because of this one play but people forget at the start of the second half the Steelers got a, the Steelers defense got you know forced a turnover um they really only scored one touchdown in the first half because of uh they went to their lightning offense their no huddle offense at the end where Ben Roethlisberger was able to make some plays and throw a touchdown pass to Heinz Ward but the first dra- drive coming out of the half the Steelers are down 21 to 10 they absolutely need a drive and the defense Defense gets them good field position at their own 48. And what happens? But Rashard Mendenhall takes them all 52 yards into the end zone uh, in, in a drive. And it's a, it's a drive. It, 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 you know, it, was, it wasn't just one or, one or two plays. He busts loose. He, t- he carries them down the field and gets them a touchdown. It was all on the ground. Um, and uh, the Steelers are back in the game 21-17 and you, you look at the the, the run, some of the runs that he was making like there was there was one play in particular where he he runs up to the line he's supposed to look he's supposed to run a gap it's not there he bounces the b gap it's not there and then he just explodes to the edge and Clay, you see Clay Matthews try to turn and run with him and he can't because he's just you know he's like he's like, he's, he's got that speed on him um and that was that and it, it and it, he was just he was making plays here and there um but then you know later in the game, of course, in the you know fourth quarter, the Steelers are on their are on their way to the comeback. They just need one more, maybe maybe one more touchdown drive. And uh, Mendenhall gets hit in the backfield, and he fumbles the ball, and the Packers scoop it up. Uh, and it was a rough play. He gets sandwiched between two guys. Clay Matthews puts a helmet on on, on the ball, and the ball popped loose. Um, and uh, it was, you know, it was an unfortunate situation. David Johnson, who was the fullback at the time, uh, you know, missed his missed Clay Matthews. I mean, he just needed to put a helmet on somebody. He let him walk right through. Mendenhall fumbled, and uh, you know, and then the, the Packers were able to go down, take more time off the clock. I believe they extended their lead, and then the Steelers weren't able to complete another drive after that. Um, and uh, and you know that became that. And so in the years past, you know, after that, you know, the Rashard Mendenhall, he uh, he had another decent year with the Steelers in 2011. He uh, he had took he had 100 he had 928 yards and off uh, and nine touchdowns uh, through 15 games. And in 2012, he only started four games. He had some injuries. He had some other issues going on. Um, and then uh, he had one more year with the Cardinals, where he played 15 games, got about 687 yards. You know, his wasn't his best year. And he retired at the age of 26. But um, you know, for those for those years when he was young and in Pittsburgh and he was working, I mean, he was contributing. He, he was he was a much better player than I think a lot of people give him credit for. And um, one interesting thing is that when you know when I when I go through how people were responding, Trey Essex, who was one of those not so good offensive linemen uh, at the time on the Steelers, you know, Trey Essex was a decent offensive lineman, but you know that was a struggling line at the time. And 
you know, when people were kind of, what made Mendenhall post that video I was talking about earlier, you know, people were really coming after him on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I just think sometimes it's just like, you got to chill out. Um, you know, it, but Trey Essex puts it in perspective. He said, y'all got to leave Mendenhall alone in this one. You know, his fumble did not cost us the game, and it was a horrible play call going go, going into this look. And even with all that, the blocking was not good. Give Green Bay... Um, give Green Bay and, and Clay Matthews cr credit for a great play, but stop blaming the game on Mendy. Um, and I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, Mendenhall wasn't the only reason for, for, for this game as a loss. You know, the, the defense didn't adjust to what Aaron Rodgers was doing early, and uh, they, they, they gave up points early on. Ben Roethlisberger threw a pick six. He wasn't consistent enough throughout the game. When he got, and this was young Ben, when he got going, he was on fire. But when he wasn't on fire, it was rough. Um, and, uh, and, and there were points in the game where he was kind of missing, missing his spots. Um, uh, and in fact, the, the, the last play of the drive, I, you know, I see, you see Mike Wallace is kind of open and he throws it behind him and it's incomplete. Um, and I'm not blaming the whole game on Ben. I'm just saying that everybody contributed to these problems. There was, you know, William Gay was getting torched in this game. Um. You know, when you look at uh, when you knew you know, Mendenhall Sumble was a problem, but there were several problems with that game. And I know people are like, "Oh, Chris, come on!" I mean, yeah, but but he, but the fumble it just hurt and it just killed the momentum. You know, but there were still plenty of other times to win that game. Uh, so m my thing is this: have fun, make jokes amongst yourself. I'm not saying you, know, you can't make jokes about Mendenhall in your own space, but don't go tweeting at the man and starting wars with him and, and calling him names. It just Cool. Be better fans than that. Rashard Mendenhall, he never betrayed the Steelers. It was it's not like Antonio Brown where he he uh, he he didn't play for the team. It's not like um it's not it's not like he went and joined the Patriots or the Ravens. He uh you know, he was a, he's a guy that he played his heart out for the team. He gave his best shot, didn't work out, and then uh, he went somewhere else and then he retired young cuz he just wanted to preserve his body and he he, he became he's now a writer and he did, he you know, he's part of Ballers for the the HBO show with Dwayne Johnson the Rock. Um but Rashard Mendenhall, I, in my opinion, I felt like he's always gotten a bad rap. And it's funny when I talk to the, a lot of those insider guys that have been covering the Steelers for years. You know, I did I didn't hear this conversation enough, but a lot of them have to share the same opinion. You know, he's like they, they said, Chris, go back and look at a lot of those games where he was busting off those big runs. They they wasn't great blocking consistently. The, the line wasn't opening up holes, and they he kept having to find ways to make things happen on his own. Uh, so. Uh, this, this Throwback Thursday, dedicated out to you, Richard Mendenhall. Hope, hope, hope he's he's found some peace out there. Game plays like that, you never let him go. Uh, you know, you know. He, of course, he thinks about it every day. Steelers fans who think they have a monopoly on pain on that day, I, I think you need to chill out. Now, again, have fun, talk about the game, joke about the game, whatever. But you know, for the people that are like, you know. T talking about the, the you know the value of his life and stuff like that on Twitter and social media, just ch take a chill pill, grow up, move on, move on from that. Uh, he was a heck of a player when he was at his when he was at his height for the Steelers. Didn't last too long, and they got a better running back a few years later at Le'Veon Bell. But that does not mean that people should be uh, flaming down his his social media because of something that happened well a decade ago now. So. That's that. That's Throwback Thursday. Hope you guys uh, remembered it. Let me know what your thoughts on Rashard Mendenhall was. Did you like him when he played for the Steelers? Uh, you know, I still remember that that overtime run against the Falcons, man, and just how exciting it was. I was in college in my in my my senior uh, dorm room, and I was just losing my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Um, you know, you know, because it was it was a crazy game. 
but you know, give me your thoughts on Rashard Mendenhall and some of your favorite memories uh, or not so favorite memories. If you think I'm being over the top in in in, uh, in saying people shouldn't be coming after him like this, uh, let me know. Either way, I'm always down for conversations on Twitter at Carter Critiques. Follow me, I'll follow you back. He with at he with damn. Always done a chat with you guys. Thanks for all those who join the Twitter community tomorrow. We have a fun show planned ahead. It's Fantasy Draft Friday. So that means Hunter and Tony are making their triumphant return. Tony won again last week. Listen, we gotta stop giving games to Tony. We gotta make it so there's standings that actually mean something, right? I mean, if if, if Tony just keeps winning, there's no standings. Tony just wins every week, and it's not a segment. But it, we gotta mix it up. So. Give me wins now. If I win all the time, then that's fine. There's no problem with that. But when it comes to when it comes to this game, you gotta you know you you got you gotta spread some things out. Um, but again, if you're listening to the Locked On Steelers podcast, if you're enjoying the show, please let us know by leaving a, leaving a five star review with a positive comment. Um, those things really help me get the word out about the show. Hope you're enjoying the show. Um, you can join if you want to talk with other Locked On listeners. We have several followers, over 500 followers in the Locked On Steelers. Uh, Facebook group. You can join that by, by searching Locked On Steelers uh, on Facebook. Ask to join the group. I'll add you as soon as possible. And you'll be amongst all the other Locked On listeners that chat every day about different topics. You have draft ideas. You have opinions. You want to share them with other Steelers fans. This is the place to do it. It's a safe place. You'll have a lot of fun discussions. People are very nice there. Also, you'll be able to play, play, play in our games on Fantasy Draft Friday and Mock Draft Monday. So, get ready for tomorrow. we got a fun one with Fantasy Draft Friday. I'm Chris Carter. See you tomorrow.